It's Bet to Win on a Monday. Welcome in to the show. Appreciate you joining us. As always, I'm Joe Fan here in the Blue Wire Studios at the Win Las Vegas. A fun weekend for me, as you can tell. Voice struggling a bit. We're low on sleep. Had a fun weekend in Austin uh, with some buddies. It was uh, one of my best friend's bachelor parties. We had a good time. The coolest part of it was, so I kind of knew going in what the plan was, but also just sort of along for the ride, one of those weekends. And I knew on Sunday we were going go-karting. Um, turns out there's like a go-kart track right next to the Circuit of the Americas um, where the Austin F1 race happens. So that was neat. So we got to drive these, drive these go-karts, which hum, by the way, those things move. And then after, we go into uh, the grandstands of the actual track, and there's different cars driving and practicing and whatever. And so it was pretty neat, and it certainly gives you the itch. I mean, you, if you're an F1 fan, you've watched the documentary Drive to Survive on Netflix, or you watch a race, certainly you have a, a degree of an itch to, to be at one. But going to the track itself and seeing it was, was pretty neat. Um, so a fun weekend for me. Hope you guys enjoyed your weekend as well. Uh, another wild one in the world of sports. Uh, real quick, soccer-wise, hat tip to Man City for winning the EPL. Uh, I'm not a huge soccer guy, but some guys in our group are. And it was a dramatic finish on Sunday. It was between Liverpool and Man City. If Liverpool wins and Man City draws or loses against Aston Villa, uh, Liverpool wins the EPL. If Man City wins, they win. Well, Aston Villa was beating Man City 2-0 with like 15 minutes to go. And Man City finds three goals to come back and win, get the three points and win the EPL. Uh, Justin Thomas wins his second major, beating Will Zalatoris in a playoff to win the PGA Championship, his second PGA Championship. Uh, Cam Rogers is our guest today to break it all down before we get to him. I have got a victory lap to take. I gave you a two-game parlay on Thursday. That was the Mets against the Cardinals and the Astros against the Rangers. That two-leg money line parlay cashed at plus 130. Back in the positives. It's been a good month. It's been a good couple months, I think, for the old winning picks. We'll try to keep it going here with more baseball at the end of the show. Uh, quick NBA recap for you on Saturday. Uh, wild one between the Heat and Celtics. The Heat had a 26-point lead, but hang on to win 109-103. They were plus six against the spread. The money line was anywhere around the ballpark of plus 200, depending on when you got it. Uh, a wild game here. Bam Adebayo stepped up in a big way. 31-10, six, four steals, and one block without Jimmy Butler in the second half. Jalen Brown had a big game scoring-wise, 40 points, nine boards, one assist, but had seven of the Celtics' 20 Four turnovers. 24 turnovers in a home playoff game when Jimmy Butler is not on the floor. Jimmy Butler, 19 points in the first half, but did not return in the second half with uh, knee inflammation. He's expected to go on uh, Monday night against the Celtics as the Celtics are seven-point favorites, but who knows at this point? The injury reports uh, are fluctuating, I feel like, by the minute. Uh, we do know that Tyler Hero will be out in this one for the Heat. Jason Tatum's banged up. Robert Williams is banged up. We know Marcus Smart's dealing with the foot injury. So who plays or, or does not play? Still unknown at this point as we record here on Monday morning at the Win Las Vegas. Um, if the Celtics lose this series, 
this one's going to sting for a while. I mean, I know the deficit was 15 at halftime and you couldn't make anything in the first half and you got your butts kicked at home. But you're at home playing in the second half without Jimmy Butler against the Miami Heat team that really doesn't have that go-to number two score. You know, they've got talented role players across the board and Bam was the one who ended up really stepping up big. Um, and you credit to the Heat, Max Struess, two clutch threes down the stretch with the Celtics trying to close the gap. And they did. It was a one-possession game at a couple different spots in those final five minutes. But the execution was just putrid all game long, but particularly down the stretch. 24 turnovers can not happen. And should they lose this game, they'll look back at this opportunity as one squandered as probably the reason they're not in the finals. Now, they're still uh, essentially even money on the series line. And if they win... Uh, which I think everyone expects them to be as huge favorites um, in game four. They'll have a chance to win, but that one stings if you're a Celtics fan. Um, fun final wrinkle to this game, Nick Stauskas, a buzzer beater three at the end of the game to make it 109-106. The margin was 15 at halftime. The second half spread was Celtics minus seven and a half. And that three made it six to cash Celtics. Minus seven and a half in the second half. We were out at a bar in uh, in Nashville, not Nashville, Austin. A couple guys in our group bet that. And so we're like huddled around a TV at this bar. No one else cares about this game because it's over. And that shot drops. Our whole group starts celebrating like the Celtics won, obviously. So everyone's looking at us like we're crazy. And that is the beauty of sports betting. It keeps you hanging on the whole way. And I've that's what I've loved about coming into this industry is that I'm not the sharp, I'm not the betting guy where I have a full slate of picks that I want to share with the world to, to help you win money. I just I don't have the confidence in that. Not really my thing. I enjoy it as a hobby, as something that's kind of entertainment. But it is fun when you know I'm more, I'm more in tune to stuff like that than I ever have been before. And so, I don't know, it makes stuff like that where at the end of the game, okay, Celtics are going to lose, but I've got two buddies here sweating minus seven and a half, second half. It was wild. Uh, so Nick Stauskas won some people some money or lost them if you were on the heat. Uh, on Sunday, the Warriors 109-100 winners as plus 130 underdogs on the money line. Uh, Steph, 31-5-11. Draymond, 10-5-5. Andrew Wiggins, who has been absolutely sensational. It started as the Jordan Poole show, these, uh, this, these playoffs, and it has now evolved into the Andrew Wiggins show. 27-11 for him, including a posterizing dunk over Luca, And even Luca had to show him some love. He said, I've watched it back. And I was like, Damn. I wish I had those bunnies. Luca had 40, 11 and three Brunson, 25 and three and Dinwiddie had 26 points. Um, but the Mavs just 13 of 45 from three. You listen to the Mavs after this game and it sounded like the series is over. And it is still interesting to hear those types of comments where Luca's saying, after this series, I'm going to go back. I'm going to learn a lot. And I'm still only 23, and the best is yet to come. Jason Kidd talking to reporters. None of you guys expected us to be here. Couldn't have waited one more game, or maybe two, to get the gentleman's suite. They're not wrong, though. The Mavs, 13 of 45 from three. Reggie Bullock and Maxi Kleba it got combined for zero points in 65 minutes. And that is the Mavs issue. That's why all along I've, I've been 
late to get on the bandwagon, but impressed with how far they've come. And they are playing with house money because this is a team that's not built to win a championship. Their second best player is Jalen Brunson, who has been tremendous and is going to get paid. And Spencer Dinwiddie has really stepped up, but he's your next best reliable role player. You just don't have enough guys on that roster who you know what you're going to get from. Reggie Bullock's a great example. Kleba, obviously another example. Dorian Finney-Smith, probably chief among them. Dude hasn't reached double digits since game four against the Suns. That series went seven. So just too much on the shoulders of Luka compared to Steph, who has four other guys on the team that can create their own shot. Now Jordan Poole, who was a third splash brother. Um, so whether this goes four or five, stick a fork in the Mavs. They are done. The Warriors will be headed to the finals at some point during this week. Um, game odds. Celtics again, minus seven against the Heat on Monday. Then on Tuesday, the Mavericks are one-point favorites against the Warriors. Total of 206 in that Celtics Heat game. 215 and a half in the Warriors-Mavs game. All right, before we get to Cam Rogers, um, I want to circle back to Saturday night. And the game was already over between the Heat and Celtics. But you see on the last play of the game, well, second to last play of the game, the Stauskas three was the last play of the game. But Victor Oladipo is bringing the ball up the floor near half court. Grant, Grant Williams is going to try to foul him, get to him, play and catch up. They collide. Grant Williams goes one way. Victor Oladipo who sold this tremendously, flies the other direction. Victor Oladipo wants to get in his feels for a second. Things come down incredibly quickly. Of course, they go and review, like they review everything. And they determine a flagrant one foul is the call against Grant Williams. And it's, it's another call in a series of very egregiously soft flagrants in these playoffs. I get it in the regular season, but there has to be a difference between how you officiate hard fouls in the regular season and how you officiate hard fouls in the postseason. And here the, here's the issue. Is that the way the rule is defined, it's so vague that it makes it super easy for the NBA league office to call into officials and say, hey, more of an emphasis on these plays. And you can put more fouls under the umbrella of a flagrant and justify it by what the definition of a flagrant is. And I'll read it to you. A flagrant one is unnecessary contact committed by a player against an opponent. That whole thing is gray area. Nothing about that is black and white. And then the only thing that adds for a flagrant two is that it's unnecessary and excessive contact committed by a player against an opponent. Now, of course, the flagrant two comes with the added stipulation of an ejection. But here's why I don't get. I don't have an issue with them reviewing everything. I know it slows the game down, whatever. Review it, fine. But the review should be in the benefit of things not being a flagrant. Let all the evidence and a logical mind be your guide here. Know who's involved. Know how the reaction was. I mean, you look at right off the top. You know that just, just off top, you know that hard fouls have been 
adjudicated out of the game. Okay, fine. But when we're talking about flagrants in the postseason, look at what happened. Collisions are going to happen when the biggest, strongest, and fastest athletes in pro sports are laying it all on the line with all of the stakes on the line. So look at this. They, they collide. They both fall each way. Victor Oladipo really quickly decides he's upset and then immediately is like, that actually wasn't that bad and no, none of my teammates are coming to my defense. Grant Williams, upon being told that it's going to be reviewed, is like, what are we doing here? Hands up. Nobody else got involved. No one else is worried about it. And they still decide, after reviewing it and looking at all the evidence, that it's a flagrant. I don't know if I'm alone here. That you know, I think this is just something that's gone too far and the pendulum has swung such a, a long ways to the other side. And I get the referees have to ha keep control of these games. And there are situations where you need a tighter whistle. But this Heat Celtics game wasn't it. I don't know. I'm sick of it. Uh, it's and again, that play had nothing to do with the outcome of the game, but still frustrating nonetheless, again, given that we've seen that throughout these playoffs. All right, let's talk some golf and bring my guy Cam Rogers in, host of Lock It In on Believe Network, betting and golf analyst for them. Follow him on Twitter at Mr. Rogers99. We've had him on before, pumped to have him on again to recap a wild weekend at Southern Hills. And it was a fun tournament throughout, but boy, to get, get, cra get crazy down the stretch, particularly on 18, which is a nightmare of a par four. And we saw poor Mito Pereira melt down there, open the door for Justin Thomas and Will Zalatoris to go to a playoff. Justin Thomas ultimately wins the tournament for the second time. Uh, Cam, thanks so much for your time, brother. Looking forward to chatting about this tournament with you. What were your overall takeaways of, of Justin Thomas winning this one? It felt for me, it, we didn't expect him to win this way, but no one's surprised that Justin Thomas won this thing. He's been lingering in top tens of majors for quite some time, and this dude can get hot as as hot, you know, as anybody, if not more so. What's going on, Joe? Good to be with you, sir. Certainly a fantastic Sunday at the PGA Championship. A lot of drama toward the end of that Sunday, as I'm sure you're aware. But credit to Justin Thomas coming back from seven shots behind to start the final round and actually win the PGA Championship. Pretty remarkable stuff. Not to break my arm, patting myself on the back here, but he was number two in terms of my power rankings going into this week. I thought he was due for a victory, due for a major championship, as you alluded to, has a slew of top tens at the majors. Of course, he won back in 2017 at the PGA Championship at Quail Hollow. So this is a guy who I think really fit this golf course well. The fairways were wide. That was his bugaboo at times at majors was that he was missing fairways and he couldn't really flash that elite iron game out of that thick, luscious rough. Now, it's a good setup here at Southern Hills, wider fairways. He's hitting those fairways and his iron game is on fantastic display. It's clear to me that he is a Hall of Famer, no doubt about it. It was the largest 54-hole comeback, by the way, to win a major since the 1999 Open Championship when we all remember Gene Vandeveld collapsed, triple bogey on 18, Went to a playoff with Paul Lowry, lost to Paul Lowry. This was some kind of comeback for Justin Thomas. And we'll talk about Mito Pereira as well in a little bit, but one heck of a tournament for him. I love Justin Thomas. He is, I actually was asked this over the weekend by a buddy who said, who's your favorite golfer? And I hadn't really thought about that. I don't necessarily go into it really pulling for guys, but I think Justin Thomas would be my favorite. I told him that on Saturday because to me, he's just relatable. And 
I I know that Bones tries to get him to be less hard on himself and just kind of ride the wave a little bit smoother and not, you know, go on this big roller coaster of emotions. But that's how I am. Like, I'm someone who talks shit to myself when I hit a bad shot or whatever. And I just, I love that when you get a hot mic on him and he's like, gosh, you suck. And it's like, that's me. And it's just, that's so relatable for golfers that play this fun but miserable game. Um, I'm happy for him. Um, and obviously his iron game is is incredible. What, what impresses you most about JT? I think, yeah, for me, I would just say how oh, this dude, you know, he can go bogey, bogey, and all of a sudden rip off five birdies in a row. And, you know, to me, like I mentioned out of the top, I don't feel like other golfers have that ability to go nuclear the way he does. 100%. That's what he can do. He can fire a 61 at a U.S. Open on a Saturday and just vault up the leaderboard. That's the type of talent that he has. When you hit the ball so well like he does, he is going to be in more major championships than most other golfers in terms of the PGA Tour. Will Zelator is another example. Hits a million greens. Colin Morikawa, John Rahm. If you could just find that putter in a given week when you hit the ball like that, you're going to win many major championships. This won't be his last, by the way. He will certainly get more, maybe a couple of green jackets. We shall see. But certainly an amazing resume. 15 PGA Tour wins, including two majors before the age of 30. How about this list? Nicholas, Johnny Miller, Tom Watson, Tiger, Rory, JT. That's one heck of a list right there. And like I said, I think he will ride this momentum throughout the PGA Tour season. Watch out for him at the U.S. Open. Watch out for him at St. Andrews. But yeah, I mean, he can just be Ben Hogan-esque with his irons at times. And it's just a beautiful display of golf. He is certainly going to be a factor at majors for the next decade, 20 years, we shall see. But he is an impressive guy. And like you said, certainly relatable. And he's best friends with Tiger Woods. So by the transitive property, if you love Tiger Woods, you probably love Justin Thomas as well. He is that relatable guy. He's just fun to be around. Really good interviewee as well when he goes on podcasts and what have you. He's a great conversation. So Justin Thomas, certainly a likable guy. And we'll see what happens the rest of the year for him. Let's pivot to the agony of defeat with Mito Pereira and a Cinderella story at 150 to 1 in some spots. Some books had him up to 300 to 1. He's the 54-hole leader. This dude looked like he had nerves of steel. And anytime he made a mistake, he bounced right back made a big approach, made a big putt. Um, and until it was really, yeah, it was until the the drive on 18 and you could see he didn't commit to it. He tried to steer it. The nerves got the best of him in that moment. He ends up double bogeying the hole to where not only does he not win in 72 holes, but he, he misses the playoff entirely. Uh, what did you make of his weekend in general? I'm going to be honest. I had never heard of him. I watch a fair a, a bit of golf and I had never heard of him. What were your thoughts on him? Was he on your radar at all? Not necessarily to win this tournament because I don't know if he was on many people's radars, but but just as a golfer on this tour and then what he did over the weekend. Yeah, he certainly wasn't on my radar for this PGA Championship. He has been on my radar before with other PGA Tour events. This guy is a fantastic ball striker, and that's typically where I lean toward when I'm handicapping a PGA Tour event because ball striking is a more reliable stat than, say, you're around the green game or your putter, right? But look, this was his PGA Championship debut. And so I was stunned that he even had the 54-hole lead at this very tournament. So I think, in a way, it's a ceremonial victory. I know he won't view it that way, but he can take away a lot from this given week. This was a difficult golf course at Southern Hills. 
Yes, he shot a five over 75 in that final round, but he still finished tied for third. That is something to take away from. Am I going as far as to say this was a collapse? I don't think I can because, again, his major championship experience really isn't that deep. We're not talking about Phil Mickelson at winged foot at that U.S. Open, which he should have won. He pulled driver and sprayed it way offline, gave it to Jeff Ogilvie. Same thing, Gene Vandeveld. I don't think it's on the same line as that either. So for Mito Pereira, I think there are a lot of positives to take away. But you mentioned it, that drive on 18. I mean, that follow through just told me like he was trying to save it a little bit. Like he knew at impact that club face was open and he tried to steer it on the way out of his impact position and literally just couldn't do it. And uh, unfortunately, he made that double bogey and couldn't even make the playoff. Credit to him, by the way. Uh, the grace that he showed during that interview with Amanda Balionis after that round. I mean, a lot of golfers would have just went right to the locker room and home, but he talked to the media. So I think he's going to make a lot of fans over this next week or so, knowing that he did that, that he gave that time to the media, even after a really brutal round. Yeah. And you saw Neiman just has heartbroken for him. there, looking on at his friend, hoping that he could get his first win and win the major. Um, will we hear from him again? You know, I think you see these, um, dark horse stories, they're more pronounced on major weekends. Will Zalatoris last year uh, at the Masters, a big one, um, and a lesser tournament, but still, I mean, one of the, the most popular non-majors, the Waste Management Open. It was Thigala who was the story of the weekend and couldn't get it done down the stretch. Haven't heard much from him since. Will Zalatoris, now one of the young budding stars, um, now Scotty Scheffler 2.0, so to speak, with the guy who feels so on the cusp of not just a win, but but going on a run. Um, what do you, where do you view Mito Pereira and whether or not he's going to have some staying power? Listen, he's a young guy. He's a rookie on the PGA tour. So I would not be surprised if this sort of lingers a little bit in the next few PGA tour events for him, but that's not to say that he's just going to completely lose his game because of that collapse on the 72nd hole. He will find it again. His ball striking is fantastic. Like I mentioned his short game, Leaves some to be desired. His putter can get ice cold at times, and maybe that's the case for the next few PGA Tour events for him, but he will be back. And the more major championship experience that he has, the better, right? Will Zelators, as you alluded to, we can talk about him as well. I mean, he's a guy who shows up on these big stages. Scheffler was the same way before he broke through and went on this incredible run. So Mito Pereira could be following in those footsteps. I'm not going to say he's Scheffler or Zelators yet in terms of that track. But he will certainly win on the PGA Tour at some point. Uh, keep an eye on him this summer for sure. Do you have a takeaway for Will Zalatoris, who's a bridesmaid once again in this tournament? But I think every, the whole golf community says it's coming. It has to. He's just too good of a ball striker. And clearly, nerves-wise, mentally, he's built for these big events and the big stage. I have it in my notes. Clearly built for major championships. He's the first player with five top 10 finishes in his first eight career major starts since one Ernie Els, who's in the Hall of Fame right now. So I like his chances at Brookline next month at the U.S. Open. When you hit a million greens like he does, again, you're going to be in contention at majors more so than not. As long as you can find something with that putter in a given week, that's when you're going to win a lot of majors, right? So Will actually lost like four strokes with his putter last week at the Byron Nelson, gained plenty of strokes with his putter at the PGA Championship. So you can see how volatile that stat can be. If he can somehow carry over that putting success from the PGA to the U.S. Open, 
He could hoist the U.S. Open trophy on Sunday evening. I am very confident in that he will win a major, perhaps multiple, but certainly a PGA Tour event this summer. Keep an eye on him for sure. He was a big name that I was looking at for the 2022 calendar year in general. Uh, really crushes it off the tee. He's a wiry guy, but creates a lot of lag, a lot of compression on that golf ball and can pipe it a mile. So when you can do that, hit a lot of greens and just find that putter in a given week, I'm thinking many trophies in his future. His putting stroke is like the Matthew Wolf equivalent on the green, where you like Matthew Wolf is like the super unique full swing, obviously, with the way he's he gets the impact feel before taking the swing. The hitch at the back of Will Zalatoris' putting stroke, it all, it's all super um, unorthodox. And the fact that putting is so regularly his bugaboo makes it kind of bizarre that that is a thing for him. What do you make of his putting stroke, his technique, and, and that you know area of his game that has been such a thorn in his side? Yeah, when you see guys with like the claw grip and just weird sort of gyrations with your hands and how you're holding the putter, that's when you know they're probably not a good putter and they're trying to find something to allow them to be a semi-okay putter. So for Will Zalatoris, listen, <laughs> when you are so good with your ball striking, it's so hard to be a good putter too. John Rahm talked about this. When you're number one on the PGA Tour in strokes games tee to green, you're just not going to be a good putter because you only have so many hours of the day to focus on so many parts of your game. If you're just hitting a million greens and your ball striking is fantastic, you're probably not going to focus so much on the putter because it's like, okay, I'm always on the green. I'll just rely on hitting it close and then we'll go from there, right? So, you know, it's really hard to find somebody on the PGA Tour who has that complete game. It's just too deep of a golf field, you know, in any, any given week. You know, Matt Fitzpatrick, I think, is the only guy who's top 25 in every single strokes game category. So it's really difficult to be really good at every facet of your game. So for Will Zalatoris, he just has to be that popper sort of putter. Find it in a given week, gain four strokes, gain three strokes, and then win on the PGA Tour and perhaps a major championship. Listen, I grip my putter like this, so I don't do anything crazy, but to each his own, right? Yeah, and I think, like you mentioned, it, it, whether even even if you're not gaining strokes, just don't give them back. If you can get close right. enough, you're just you're going to set yourself up for enough, enough birdie opportunities to give yourself a chance on Sunday. Um, after the Masters, Tiger was one of the biggest uh, talking points. He is again this week. I feel like the question I'm about to ask you is the same as what I asked you after Augusta. Surprised to make the cut, especially after a first round plus three. This the 69 he fired on Saturday, or on Friday, sorry, I think it was a huge surprise. But then he withdraws after a tough round on Saturday. He didn't look right. He's limping, feels laborious. It's hard to watch at times. It's also special and dazzling to watch at times because he still has that in him in spurts to where it is that Tiger magic. And yeah, I guess this is the same question. Is, is this who he is now? Will we ever get to see a non-gimpy Tiger healthy for and walking four rounds in a weekend and potentially in a top 20 or even a top 10 and in the conversation of a leaderboard uh, on a Sunday. Yeah, listen, I take no pleasure in, you know, seeing that Tiger Woods did not play well at the PGA Championship because I projected this. I just didn't think it was a great setup for him, a full field event. There was a lot of unpredictability with the weather. You talk about that withdrawal. You know, that third round, the conditions were super cold and raw. He's 46 years old. He's clearly not 100%. All that put together, it was the perfect storm for him. And I'm honestly proud 
that he did withdraw because you have to play the long game here, right? You have to think about the U.S. Open if he wants to play that. And certainly the Open Championship, a tournament, by the way, I think he can contend at if he is 90, 95% at least because the Open Championship is typically conducive to the older guard of the PGA Tour and Tiger Woods, of course, St. Andrews, they know each other very well. So listen, for him... It's going to be an uphill climb. And I think the key word is unpredictability. We don't really know how he's going to feel in any given day during a major championship. And he doesn't know, I don't think. Reportedly, he's in Los Angeles right now talking to doctors about next steps with his leg. You talked about how it was difficult difficult to watch. It certainly was. And so for him, you know, I think he needs to look at himself in the mirror and be like, okay, is it worth it at the U.S. Open at Brookline, or should I wait until the Open Championship where I have a better chance to win as compared to the U.S. Open here? But listen, he's built different. Woods, Jordan, Brady, these athletes are different. They have this ego that they can win any given week, and they should believe that because they have the resume to prove it. But at the same time, you sort of have to take into account the opinions around you in your inner circle and make the best decision for your body. And if that decision is to skip the U.S. Open, I think he should. I would rather him play the long game here selfishly as a fan. I want him to play every single week, but that's just not sustainable for him at this point in time. So, you know, there's a lot for him to sort of work through. The U.S. Open is just a shade over three weeks away. That's really not a long time for him to recover and reassess, to be honest with you. If you ask me right now, will he play? My answer is yes. But I think it's going to be another difficult week for him just because U.S. Opens and PGAs in general do not set up well for his game, not at this stage of his age, not at this stage of his career. So for Tiger Woods, hopefully he is sort of bringing in as many opinions as he can amongst his inner circle here this week and then going from there. But Credit to him. I mean, he's a fighter. He's a gamer. He's ultra competitive. He is the needle in the game of golf. We want to see him healthy, playing well again soon. Hopefully we can get that at the U.S. Open or the Open Championship. Uh, Tiger, clearly clearly not right physically. I think you could say the same about Brooks Kepka, who I've shared the story on this show several times. I was at the Shriners Open at TPC Summerlin, and I got struck uh, by a Brooks Kepka drive. He didn't apologize, damn it. He didn't say anything. It's like he was aiming for me. And so I've had this vendetta against Brooks Kepka. And you know what? I've joked that, you know, karma's a real thing and he's been in really bad form ever since that took place in October. In all seriousness, he hasn't been very good. And he did make the cut, but he was T55 at plus eight. He hasn't been in the mix in a major um, of late. It's It feels like he's gone through swing changes. He's changed clubs. Um, the health thing might continue to be an issue for him that has been for the last three years, it feels like. You know, what is your take on Brooks and why he hasn't been anywhere near the factor we expect him to be? Yeah, he's not doing anything good right now, Joe. And by the way, there should be an apology in writing. I mean, come on now. Right? Brooks Kepka. <laughs> it's like, hey, man, just like give me a thumbs up, dude. Be like, hey, my bad. And I, my shoulder saved his ball. He's going into the canyon out of bounds, and my shoulder knocks him back into the fairway. He saves par. The same. I'm over it. I'm over it. I'm over it. I, you helped him out, man. Totally over Listen, T to Green, he's not very good right now. 124th on the PGA Tour. His best stat is his putter, and that's not good news for him. He's typically known as that bomber, that elite ball striker, somebody who can show up 
at a major championship and contend. And we're just not seeing that right now. T55 at the PGA missed the cut at the Masters. Played well at the match play, actually. T12 at the Valspar. I think there's something going on from an injury perspective. I'm not sure if he is 100% as we stand. I would not be shocked if he doesn't play until the U.S. Open. I don't know if he spoke with the media after his final round on Sunday. I'm not sure what he said, but I think he needs to sort of reevaluate things a little bit and work on his ball striking again. It's really weird to see that he hasn't shown up at a major so far this year. That's typically his MO. Like he can show up with no form whatsoever and finish inside the top 10. That's just who Brooks Kepka is or has been. And now all of a sudden, Brooks and Bryson DeChambeau, by the way, perhaps both going through some injury concerns right now, and they have not been factors at the majors so far this year. So hopefully Brooks can work on that ball striking again and get it back to par, no pun intended, here for the U.S. Open at Brookline. If not, maybe the Open Championship at St. Andrews. But yeah, it's been a curious year for Brooks and certainly you know, for Bryson and also like Ricky Fowler. A lot of these big names right now are struggling, and that's opening the door for the Schefflers and the Zalatoruses of the world. He is Cam Rogers, national betting and golf analyst, the host of Lock It In on Believe Network. Follow him on Twitter, at MrRogers99. Love recapping the PGA Championship, and there are more majors to come. Cam, I look forward to future conversations. Thanks again, man. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. Always love talking golf and appreciate Cam offering his expertise once again here on Bet to Win. We've got a promo for you. Win Bets basketball parlay bonus is here. All WinBet users can receive a $10 free bet when they win, lose, or push a $20 or more four-leg parlay on hoops. That includes same-game parlays between Monday and Thursday. So get your tickets in on these uh, conference finals games. Um, go to WinBet.com or download the WinBet app for official rules and details. My winning pick is very simple. I'm going to be honest. Flight was delayed last night. I didn't land till 1. Got three hours sleep. Hopped right in here on the studio. Didn't have a ton of time to handicap this uh, baseball slate. So I'm going to go with my logic, as I often do, with good teams, beating bad teams. Yankees against the Orioles money line with the Garrett Cole on the mound and the Dodgers money line on the road against the Nationals. That two-leg money line parlay is minus 107. I'll take it. Put that, uh, so that thought-free ticket into the window and... Watch your cash because I'm okay betting on good teams to beat bad teams. Uh, feel free to avoid that one if you wish, though. Um, I feel good about it. Anyways, fun show. Lots to discuss. More NBA coming up on the way. Again, Heat Celtics Monday, Warriors Mavs Tuesday. Whatever happens in each of these games, there's going to be a ton of storylines to discuss on Thursday. We're going to bring Nick Dayus back, my guy, uh, to talk hoops and everything else in the wide world of sports. Appreciate you joining us. We'll see you then right here on Bet to Win.